let's, let's look at Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at a very interesting passage of Scripture today. We're going to read the last part of 4 and the first part of chapter 5. And I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, would you stand for the reading of the Word of God this morning? So Luke writes this, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, And they brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who's also called by the apostles Barnabas, which which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. And he brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Verse 12, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, and that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick, those afflicted with unclean spirits, And they were all healed. This ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, that's a cheerful passage there, isn't it? It's a little jarring. I have to be honest. You know, when I was praying through this series and just working through the book of Acts, I I really considered skipping this story. Um, You know, it would be so much easier just to kind of jump over it. And 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 I do think that in most churches, in a lot of churches... They're, they're not going to read a passage of scripture like this because they, they don't really want to offend anybody. They don't, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to deal with some of the hard questions. And I think the problem with that is 
we, what we do is we end up, you know, creating disciples that know some Bible verses, but we don't really know Scripture. You know, we, we, we know a few verses kind of here and there, but we really don't know a book of the Bible, and we don't really know the Scripture. And I think it's all in the name of trying to keep people from being uncomfortable. And so a lot of church leaders work really hard at that so that you wouldn't be uncomfortable. And what, what I have found, what's interesting about that is God works really hard to make us uncomfortable. Isn't that interesting? Because the thing that he knows is the way that we grow in our relationship with God is being made uncomfortable. That's the only way. And, you know, the, you know you've heard me say it, and it's certainly not original, original with me, but, you know, God's more interested in your character than he is your comfort. And if you're in Christ, you got all of eternity to be comfortable. But this life is about growing in Christ-likeness. And I think there's something here that God wants to give to us, and that's the reason why it's included in the passage that we read today. It's included in the Bible. Now, we read this story of Ananias and Sapphira, and we're taken aback by the severity of this. You know, here you have a couple, they sell a piece of property, they hold back a portion for themselves, they bring the rest of it, uh, the rest of the sale, the proceeds of the sale, and they put it at the apostles' feet so that they can distribute it to the needy, and then God strikes them both dead. And we read this and we think, what in the world is happening here? You know, I thought God was a God of grace and God was a God of forgiveness. Uh, this is more like the God we read about in the Old Testament, you know, the, uh, on the God that has kind of a quick temper and an and a itchy trigger finger, which is really a complete misreading of what we see of God in the Old Testament. But, you, but I think a lot of us have that question. And here you have in the book of Acts, you've got people that are demon-possessed, you have people that are broken, people that are sick, people that are sinners uh, who are coming to Christ. And then you have these Pharisees and religious leaders not only plotting to kill Jesus, but orchestrating him to be crucified, and then they're persecuting the apostles, and then nothing happens to them. And we're asking the question, what in the world is going on? You know, God strikes down this sweet couple who makes, you know, this contribution to the early church. And God kind of shows them the door and they, they fall dead out in the foyer. And so now I think, I think the part of this is just understanding, you know, just their names. I mean, think about their names. Ananias and Sapphira. The name Ananias means God is gracious. Isn't that ironic? God is gracious. Sapphira means beautiful. It comes from the word sapphire. So she's named after a sapphire. And so there, here you have this couple doing a good deed. They were major contributors in the church, helping the poor. And then God shows them, at, shows them the door. What in the world is going on here? That's the question. I think there's two things, at least, going on in this passage. I, see, I think the first thing that we see is we see the seriousness of sin. We see the seriousness of sin. Whereas you and I would just kind of play it loose and not take it that serious, God really does take it seriously. That's the first thing we see. And then I think we see in contrast to that, we see the greatness of grace. We see how amazing God's grace really is. And it's here in this passage. So let's look at it. Let's look at the first one. The seriousness of sin. So you see verses 3 through 5 uh, in chapter 5. So Peter is addressing Ananias and he says to him, you know, why has Satan filled your heart? Now notice that language. Because that gives you insight into what's happening. 
Why has Satan so filled your heart that you would lie to the Holy Spirit and, and keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds? And so then he talks about in verse 4, you know, when it remained unsold, it was yours. And after it was sold, the proceeds belong to you as well. You know, why is it that you've contrived to do this deed in your heart? You haven't lied to man, but you've lied, you've lied to God. Now, what I like about this is how honest Luke is as a church historian. I mean, just think big picture for a minute. I mean, the, what we've been looking at over the past few weeks is God's spirit moving powerfully in the church. We're seeing, you know, the spirit of God poured out. We're seeing the apostles and the early Christians filled with boldness as they're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. There are signs, there's miracles, there's wonders being done. The early church is praying together. They are doing life together. They're devoting themselves to the apostles teaching together. God is working in a significant way. And then Luke takes this story, this negative story, and puts it right in the middle of it. Why? I think there's a number of different reasons. I think Luke wants us to see the strategy of Satan. That when God's spirit is on the move in the church, Satan is not just going to sit back and just take that. He, he's going to try to stop it. And I think that's one reason why Luke shows us. I think another reason why Luke shows us this story is because I think he wants to show us that there are problems in every church. There's sin in every church. And I think even in the church, the early church where God was moving and doing so many amazing things, you've got sin right in the midst of it. And so we don't need to be scared of that. It's just the reality. It's just real. But I think the biggest reason why Luke puts us in here is because I think he wants us to see that sin is a serious issue. That when you and I make the choice that we're going to, you know, we're going to pretend and we're going to pose and we're going to posture ourselves and we're going to present ourselves as more righteous than we are, the consequences could be deadly. That's what Luke wants us to see. And so what you have is what Luke tells us is, uh, the story of this guy named Joseph, and he was from Cyprus, and um, he takes a piece of property, he sells it, and he gives 100% of the proceeds to the apostles so that they can meet the needs of the, of the poor and, and those who are in need. And so he's doing this, and it, uh, I think it's a pretty sizable contribution, and word just kind of spread through the church, and it blessed the entire church. And I think people are inspired. In, people are inspired by generosity. And so I think what's happening is Joseph starts to get some acclaim for his contribution. I don't think he was looking for acclaim. I think that was the last thing on his mind. I think he was being obedient to what God was asking him to do. But I think he started to get acclaim from the other Christians. And they even changed his name. They started calling him a nickname, Barnabas. And it stuck. And the name Barnabas means son of encouragement or encouraging one. And so here you have the, you know, the early church being blessed by this man's contribution. And they're, they're calling him Barnabas. They're saying, man, we've been blessed by the encouraging one. And he's getting all of this acclaim. And here you have this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, sitting back. And they're watching it. And they're saying this, we want that too. We want the acclaim. Maybe they'll honor us if we do the same thing. And if you know anything about Barnabas later on in the book of Acts, 
uh, he becomes a key player in the gospel continuing to go viral because he becomes a church leader. And, you know, Ananias and Sapphira are thinking, man, maybe they'll give us a position if we do the same thing. So they start conceiving of a plan. They've got a piece of property and, and they sell it. But unlike Barnabas, they don't give all of it. They give a portion of it. Now, is that wrong? No. And Peter addresses that. They're under no obligation to give a penny of it. There was, there was, they, they, they were not required to do this at all. Okay? The, you know, that's why he even says in, you know, in, in verses 3, you know, you, you know, the land was yours before it was sold. And, and, and the proceeds was your, belonged to you after it was sold. You didn't have to do anything. It was totally at your disposal. You can give some. You can give none. It's good. It's all good. Peter basically lays that out. And so the problem with it was this, that they, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that they had to do this. The, the, the real problem here is they, they sold the property and they took a portion for it themselves and they gave a portion, but they represented themselves as giving the entire portion to the apostles. That's where we got a problem. They start pretending. They start posing. They start posturing. They start presenting themselves as more righteous than they really are. And that's huge. They want to look good. They, want to, they wanted credit for their generosity without the sacrifice of their generosity. Now, there's a word for that. You know what it is? The word is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is really representing yourself falsely. It's not being what you profess to be. That's what it is. It, it's just basically living a lie, saying one thing, but doing another. And I think it tells us a lot about the seriousness of sin, and, and especially the seriousness of this kind of hypocrisy. Now, you and I typically think, when we think of sin, I mean, usually what comes to our mind is, you know, don't embezzle funds from your employer, you know, don't cheat on a test at school, you know, be faithful to your spouse. It's, it's all about you know, sin in our mind is, is about bad things and avoiding bad things. That's what, that's what sin is. We, sin is just basically, according to the Bible, you know, bad things that you do. And that's certainly the way the scripture lays it out. But what we also see, and maybe you haven't thought of this, is sin is not just bad things, but it's good things done for the wrong reason. That's sin as well. See, it's not just the bad things that we do, but it's doing good things for the wrong reason. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Isaiah 64, 6, he alludes to this. And uh, the prophet Isaiah is speaking, and he says this, speaking on behalf of, you know, on behalf of the people, we, we have all become like one who's unclean. So we're unclean. We're stained with sin. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Now, that word polluted garment is just like, is a word menstrual cloth. Literally, that's what it means. It's a soiled, soiled clothes. And so you're looking at this, and you're thinking, why in the world are we unclean? And why are our righteous deeds, you know, making us like a polluted garment? I mean, aren't we supposed to do righteous and good deeds? Aren't we supposed to do good things? Aren't we supposed to be, you know, 
um, involved in helping the poor? I mean, what is it about a righteous deed that, that pollutes our garment? Well, I think what Isaiah is saying is that um, on the outside, our righteousness can look really good. Uh, just like it did for Ananias and Sapphira. The problem was not what it looked like on the outside. The problem was what was going on on the inside. The problem was they didn't give because they love God. They didn't give because they loved to help the poor. They gave because they loved themselves. And they wanted the acclaim that goes along with it. They wanted to establish their own righteousness in the eyes of other people. See, the problem was not the gift. The problem was the motive behind the gift. And that's why so many times we read in the Gospels where Jesus has a problem with the Pharisees. He's in constant conflict with the Pharisees because the Pharisees are pretenders, they're posers, they're posturers, and they're constantly presenting themselves as righteous on the outside. But inside, their hearts are far from him. And so they, he just goes after them time and time and time again. I mean, these guys, would, they would put on these long, flowing, ornate robes, and they'd go out on the street corners and pray in public just so that they could be seen by other people. And that's why Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like them. Go into your room and close the door so that no one sees you praying. Same thing with fasting. These guys would fast. They'd let the entire world know how hungry they were because of their long religious fast. And Jesus says, don't, when you fast, don't tell a soul. Don't tell anybody. Just do it. Because Jesus understands our nature, and our nature is we are susceptible to approval-seeking and affirmation-seeking and self-righteousness. That's what we're susceptible to. So what is a good deed? You know, if you give a, you know, even a small contribution to someone in need, is that a good deed? Well, it depends on why you do it. If you're doing it to earn points with God, if you're doing it to earn the attaboys from people around you, it's not a good deed. It's a bad deed. And the Bible says we need to repent of our polluted garments you know if you volunteer for the middle school lock-in is that a good deed it's a stupid deed you could die out in the foyer right you could die right out in the foyer it depends on why you're doing it it depends on your heart motive in it and it's not about external righteousness it's about you know it's about the heart it's about where is your heart today that's what it's about and that's what it was about for Ananias and Sapphira. You go to Haiti, you go to El Salvador, you serve on a mission trip, you go to the, all the trouble, the heartache, or the, you know, all the trouble and the irritation of just going overseas and getting your trip ready to go. And is that a good deed? Well, it just depends on why you're going. You, you serve, you know, at Wheeler Mission, or you stock the shelves at Midwest Food Bank, you know, you, you volunteer at the Crisis Pregnancy Center, and if you're doing it, if you're doing it to be seen by others, it's not a good deed. You see, our attempts to produce righteousness offend a holy God because the gospel says we have no righteousness of our own to present. Our righteousness, church, is Jesus plus nothing. That's all the righteousness we got. 
The only thing we contributed to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary. You know, I love Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, because, man, this, this is one of the most amazing verses. Because, you know, two incredible church leaders got saved reading this verse, just reading it. The first one was John Wesley. I love telling this story. He was a, lived during the 1700s in Great Britain. Uh, he wanted to become a Christian. He wanted to experience God, you know, God's salvation. So you know what he did? He, he became an Anglican priest to save his soul. Because he thought he had to bring a certain level of righteousness himself. And he thought if he could bring a certain level himself, then God will give him favor and God will accept him and that kind of thing. And, um, and so he was trusting in his own righteous good deeds. He was trusting in his own goodness. And he was hoping that that was good enough where it would put God in, in debt to him and God would have to save him. And so he not only became an Anglican priest, but he became a missionary to Georgia to, to try, try to reach the Indians for Christ. And John Wesley's not even a Christian himself. And he's on the boat from England to Georgia, and they hit the rough seas of the North Atlantic, and they think they're going to die. And Wesley is scared to death he's going to die because he knows he's not ready. And he's doing all of these good things, and he has no peace in his heart. And there's a small group of Moravian Christians in the middle of the boat. And he's like, they're singing, they're worshiping God, they're filled with joy. And he's like, what do you guys have that I don't have? And they're like, I don't know, Grace? And they're like, how did you get that? Wesley was like, how did you get that? They said, well, the Bible says it's salvation by faith through grace. Maybe you just need to believe the gospel. And he's like, well, I'm trying. I just don't get this. What, what should I do? They told him, just preach it till you get it. Just start preaching it. And then God will give it to you. Martin Luther, the same way, used to beat himself up. Over his sins, he'd spend hours in confession. He'd take a whip and just whip himself to death. Because he was trying to beat the unrighteousness out of his life. He was trying to be so good that he would earn favor and points with God. And God would save him. And they both came to Romans 1.16. They both read it at two different times in two different ways. And God spoke to them and they came to realize it's not their righteousness that saves you. It is the righteousness of God. Look at what Paul says. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is, for in it, in what? The gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. It's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness from God. Here's, here's the thing, church. Do you know most churchgoers in the United States believe that if they're good enough, God will save them? And that's not what the gospel is. There are a lot of people trusting in their good deeds and in their show of righteousness. And we think if we just show enough of it, then God will accept it. Well, the gospel says God produces the righteousness and we have to accept his. And so that's, that's huge. See, when we trust in our righteousness, you guys, we're actually rejecting Jesus. We're actually saying no to his mercy and his grace. We don't need it. We've got our own. And apparently, that can be an, a capital offense. Now, I think the question still stands, though. You're thinking, okay, this seems really severe. All right, Scott, just talk to me about the severity of this. I mean, it seems really se severe. Well, I, I think there are a couple of thoughts here. I think um, it is severe. 
And I think there's a reason behind that. I think, I think Ananias and Sapphira had a 50-yard line seat to the grace and the power of God. I think they lived in Jerusalem. They saw Jesus before he was crucified. I, I, they, they, they heard him teach. I, I, I guarantee you, uh, they saw him do miracles. They saw him crucified. They saw him resurrection, resurrected. They saw him do all, see the Spirit of God working all of these miracles, and they're still seeking their own glory over the glory of God. And I think that when we experience the grace of God and we come into a knowledge of God, with that grace and knowledge comes an accountability. That when God shows us something, we need to live up to it. And I think that's what's, that's what's at stake here. Now, certainly God doesn't do this with everyone who lies to the Holy Spirit today. But, but that doesn't cover up how he feels about it. I think we get a clear picture of how God feels when we pretend and we pose and we present ourselves as you know, more righteous than we really are. I think this, this story shows that there's going to be a reckoning for sin. There's going to be a day of judgment. I, I think it shows that there's going to be a day when Jesus judges the entire universe. Every person. And, um, you know, if you're in Christ, the only thing you're going to need on that day is the righteousness of Christ. And the only thing you're going to have is the righteousness of Christ. So I think it really begs the question for us, is there an area in your life where you're pretending? Is there an area in your life where you're just posturing, you're just posing, you're just going through the motions, you're just pretending? Is there, is there an area in your life where you're just kind of lying to the Holy Spirit? You're just not being truthful with God in your life. You know, what, you know what Jim Elliott said? Jim Elliott said, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. And what we do on Sunday, what we sing God's praises, right? And all through the week, man, we're seeking the praises of other people. And we sing on Sunday morning, I surrender all. And man, on Monday morning, we haven't surrendered a thing. Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. What areas in your life have you not surrendered to Jesus? For Ananias and Sapphira, it was their finances and it was their reputation. That was their areas. I, I think that another reason why God deals so severely with them is because I think it's a, it's a, it, shows you how, it shows you how serious hypocrisy is in the church. I mean, you guys, how many people have told you that they don't go to church? Why? Because so many hypocrites go to church. So many people have rejected the gospel and rejected the bride of Christ. Why? Because the hypocrisy in my life and in yours. And I think it's serious business. And I think what God does is he's sending a message to the early church. Don't pretend. Don't be a poser. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you think, you, you think you're good. You know, you've prayed a prayer. You've accepted Christ. And, and so you kind of think you've got a spiritual visa debit card. You can just unlimited sin man you just got to kind of do whatever you want to do right because you've got your fire insurance well let me tell you something you better check the fine print because God doesn't give us his grace as a reason to continue to live in rebellion against him 
you know what I love about this story? Is, and, I think, and I think this is another reason why Luke includes it. But I think, it, I think it's Luke's way of saying we can be honest. That, that, that the gospel sets us free to be truth tellers. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to pose. We don't have to present ourselves as more righteous than we are. I mean, I mean just, just think about Acts. Think about what's included in Acts and in the New Testament. I mean, I mean just, just think about how the gospel sets us free. I mean, if you're Peter, do you really want the story of you wilting under the interrogation of a middle school girl? You know, and you reveal, you, you know, that story revealing your cowardice where he denied Jesus three times. Do you really want that in here? And the apostles aren't any better because, man, when the heat was on Jesus, what did they do? They scattered and ran. The heat was on, man. They bailed. They all did. And then you have this story. You've got two sweet people making this contribution for their own glory, and, and then God takes them out. Man, that's just real. That's just real stuff right there. And then next week, you're going to see, you know, in Acts chapter 6, where discrimination exists in the church. Where Grecian widows were being discriminated against in the distribution of food. Right there in the Bible. Almost split the church over it. And then later on, Peter and Paul get into a major rift. A major rift. And then later on, you see sexual immorality in the church that will just grieve your heart. You're just like, oh man. And I think there's a point to all of this. And the point is, is that the righteousness is not found in the members of the church. The righteousness is found in the Savior of the church. And I think it speaks to us that we don't have to pretend to be something we're not. We don't have to pose. We don't have to act like we, don't, we have it all together. That we can experience a different kind of community. A community that's infused with grace and truth. That's what I think Luke is trying to get at. He's not sugarcoating it because we've been set free from the desire to sugarcoat it. So you see the seriousness of sin, and man, it is. But, but I think there's really good news here, and that is you see the greatness of grace. You see the greatness of grace. Look at, look at verse 14. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The Gospels is all over the place, and uh, it, you know, it can sneak by you if you're not careful, but you see it in verse 14. Notice what Luke says. So, so this has just happened with Ananias and Sapphira. But you begin to see God's amazing grace even in the midst of sin. Verse 14, And more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. You know what that is? That's grace. The Holy Spirit is still working. God is still moving. God is still saving. God is still building his church. Yes, there's sin in the church, but God is still working. And it just shows, it shows you his incredible grace. We see, you know, we see the broken. We see the sick. We see the wayward. We see the lost coming to Christ. That's what you see. And then in verses 15 and 16, notice this. This is so cool. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and they laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by at least his shadow might might fall on some of them and so so cool he says the people are gathered from the towns around Jerusalem they were bringing the sick and the afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all healed 
So God's spirit is still working, still moving. And, and apparently the church, I mean, according to Acts, according to chapter 5, apparently the church is a place where Christians bring their friends to meet Jesus. Where Christians bring the sick so that they can be healed. Apparently, I mean, that's kind of what it says, right? Maybe we should do the same thing. What a great idea that is. Man, people, other people experiencing the greatness of grace. You guys remember the story that Jesus told, it was a parable, he told told the story about this guy that threw this wedding feast, and man, he killed the fatted calf, and I mean, he ordered grace catering, they brought it in, and and it was all good, and he he invited the spiritual elite, the religious elite, the, the political elite, the financially elite, he brought them all, and none of them came, none of them came to his wedding feast. And so, and so the, the servants asked, hey, what do we need to do? He said, open the doors wide, go out in the streets, invite anybody who would come in. Anybody who can come in. Invite the poor, the lame, the sick, the nobodies, the sinners, the homeless. Just invite them all in and let them share in my banquet. And the whole point of that is, is you see the heart of the Father for people who are far from God. You see that the Son of Man didn't come to, you know, to judge the world, but he came to seek and to save that which is lost and that which is broken church only the holy spirit can do this but only the holy spirit can do it through men and women and students who are willing to be used by the holy spirit and so the truth is and this is just cutting right to it just like ananias and sapphira we deserve to die we deserve to be carried out of here and buried because of our sin because of the times that we've pretended, the times we've sought glory, that's what we deserve. And the good news of the gospel is Jesus took on what we deserved. He stepped in and took, you know, God's wrath for sin and God's judgment and justice for sin. He took our place. So, so really the question is not, a, not why was God so severe with Ananias and Sapphira? The question is why is he so patient and graceful with us? That's the question. And so God's patience and his kindness today, the whole purpose of God's patience and kindness is to lead us to repent, to turn away, to live a life of truth, live a life that frees us from pretending and posturing and posing and presenting ourselves as more righteous than we are. So what do you do? Well, you believe the gospel, right? And you repent. You repent and you believe the gospel. You know, repentance is just turning away from your sin. It's acknowledging those areas in your life, you know, and areas in my life where, you know, we're not living in alignment with the gospel. We know we're wrong and we turn away and we say, this is going to end today. God, will you grant me the gift of repentance? And you believe the message of God's forgiveness. It's not you, you know, you repent, but you don't believe or you believe and you don't repent. They're two sides of the same coin. It's the same thing. And so it's God's love and grace calling out to us, saying, don't live a lie, but live in the truth. Let's pray together. Father, if we confess our sins, you are amazingly faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, thank you for your promises 
Thank you that we can be cleansed and forgiven. And so, God, I pray that you would just enable us to examine ourselves, to see, are we in the faith? Are we, are we living in alignment with, with the message of the gospel, that it's, that it's your righteousness? It's your salvation. It's your grace given to us. And so I just want to invite you um, just to take a minute and, and just examine your own life and pray. And if there, there's something that God is convicting you about, um, I want you to just take a minute and confess that just silently to yourself right, right where you are. Just pray. Believe and repent. You know, we are more sinful than we ever thought possible. But we're also more loved than we've ever dared to imagine. And so the patience and the kindness of a Savior leads to repentance. Ask God to give you the gift of repentance. Father, I pray that as a church family that we would be men and women and students that are set free from masks and walls, disguises. God, you would set us free from those things. And I pray that you would set us free from seeking our own glory and that we would just be free to seek yours every day. Thank you that you look at the heart, you know our hearts inside and out and you, and you love us. So God just set us free.